of Jesus. Yeah, of course, we'll be getting close to Christmas and all that good stuff. Uh, welcome to church on this beautiful morning. If I have never met you, I see a few faces I don't recognize. So I'd love to shake your hand. Afterwards, I'm usually out there in the lobby uh, sipping on some coffee. And uh, we'd love to say, I would love to say thank you for coming. Uh, my name is John. I've never met you before. Um, one thing I did not announce is it is, of course, Thanksgiving feast day. And all the people said, Amen. Man, I've heard stories of things that are being cooked. You are not going to want to miss it. So uh, just a couple details for you. We're gathering at 4.30 today. Uh, that is the meeting time. Unless you're cooking a turkey or a ham, we'd love to have you at 4 if you can make it so we can start getting the meat ready. We got four meat cutters assigned. We got four electric knives assigned. Um, uh, yeah, sounds dangerous. I saw someone had written down they have two knives so I'm not sure if they're going to double fist the knives or what. Like, one with each hand, that would be impressive. So if you want to see the show, I guess, come early for the, the uh, meat cutting. Um, I will be back along with, like, much of the staff about 3 to help get things set up. So you're welcome anytime this afternoon, about 3 and after. A um, couple of things I want to let you know about. We are collecting things for the Boise Rescue Mission. We don't have a barrel out there yet, but we're going to have a barrel. It's hard to, hard to get one out there. But we're going to have a barrel. Anything you have that you don't need, we would love for you to bring it here to our lobby. There's a box out there, I believe, this week. But put it in there. Put it in the barrel when the barrel's here, and we will get it to the rescue mission. They do a great job reaching those who are less fortunate this time of year in our city. And we want to be a part of it. So uh, please bring stuff that you don't need. Uh, there's a list. Of, there's a little paper that's got a list of stuff that they always need. So if you want to go buy some new stuff from the store, uh, that's the stuff they need. Toiletries, toothbrushes, those kinds of things. So uh, we encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We want to look outside of our four walls, so I encourage you to be a part of it. Um, and then uh, a couple of things about this coming week. Remember, no Wednesday night church this coming week on the, uh, it's the 23rd. So if you come here, the building will be locked and uh, it'll be cold. So I would just uh, hang out at home, uh, hang out with your family that night. That's the day before Thanksgiving. So hope you have family to join up with. If not, if you're here in this place and you have room in your house, man, invite someone over. Um, our family, uh, Chandra and I and our boys and Christina, we're headed to the Oregon coast tomorrow to meet up with Chandra's family, and it'll be a busy trip, but it'll be fun. Uh, but that's where we'll be. I'll try and post a picture or two. I'm terrible at that kind of thing. But uh, uh, anyway, we should be back next Sunday morning uh, to enjoy the boss talks with you. So um, just so you know, that's what's coming up this week. One more thing to remind you about. We're excited to welcome our new uh, youth, young adult pastors, Chase and Hannah Forey, December 11th. So that is three weeks from now. It is going to be awesome. His last week at his current church is next weekend. And then he has a previously planned hunting trip that first week of December. And then he'll be here. So I uh, can't wait for you to meet them on the 11th. So there's my announcements, my commercials. This morning, we are on to uh, the Habits of a Believer, part two. Habits of a Believer. Uh, this is the second of, last week I said three weeks, but this always happens to me. This is the second of four weeks talking about the habits of Jesus because three weeks was not going to be enough. Um, we're getting ready to head into the Christmas season, right, where we celebrate the fact that Jesus, who is God's only son, right, we know the story. He came to earth in the form of a baby. He lived 33 sinless years. He became the once and always sacrifice for our sins. That's what we celebrate every Christmas time. We talked at the top last week, the beginning of service, and it's important that we mention it this week as we talk about the habits Jesus had as a human on earth. It's important we, we say and remember that Jesus, he was fully God while on earth, but he was also fully man. He was both. He's fully God and fully man, and you have to start there when you talk about uh, Jesus being on earth. 
And we talked through some scriptures last week supporting that. And uh, if you want those, you have to go catch the video or the podcast from last week. Not going to take the time to go through them today. But those are all up there. But just know, Jesus, uh, when he was on earth, he was fully human, just as you and I are. He breathed the same air. He walked the same dirt, dealt with the same challenges uh, that you and I do. And if that is true, then Jesus would have had human habits just like you and I. And in our intro to the series, we talked about how there is this idea out there that it takes uh, 21 days to create a new habit. Anybody heard that? 21 days to start a habit. Uh, It's one of those things that everyone has heard, but no one knows where it actually came from. And so I went to look it up uh, before last week and set out to research, and I found it's not exactly true. Uh, And I said this last week, what a shocker, something you read on the internet is not true. What a surprise, right? But there's this doctor that came up with this idea a long time ago, and he said it takes a minimum, minimum of 21 days to start a new habit. Minimum. And the reality is, what the studies actually show is it actually takes an average of about 66, 66 days, sometimes as long as eight months. So if you have been discouraged by not being able to start and stick to a new, new habit in three weeks, and you're like, man, I must be messed up. It takes me longer than 21 days. Uh, don't despair because it probably takes longer than that anyway to, to really make a hard new habit. Uh, these habits that we're talking about during this series, the ones from last week, the ones this week, these are things that we can all do. Like we said, Jesus was human. He was on earth. And these are things that we can all do. Uh, and I have to take a little aside because of my introduction last week. I gave it as an illustration this couple of habits that I have gotten into over the years in my 43 years. And I was talking about the habit I have when I brush my teeth. And uh, I'm sure all of you actually have a habit. You can probably think right now what, how you go about it when you brush your teeth. Um, all of you have a routine or a habit. And I mentioned that at our last house, we just moved, but at our last house, I would sit on the toilet and I would put my feet on the wall and I would usually read a psalm when I brush my teeth. But in talking, we had a staff meeting last Sunday night. Talking with the staff later, I realized I didn't clarify the toilet seat is closed when I do this. <laughs> I should have said toilet seat and not toilet. I realized I didn't clarify it. A couple of them, most of the guys were like, yeah, I understood what he was saying. And the girls had kind of overthought it a little bit. <laughs> anyway, the seat is down and I put my feet on the wall. I can't do it at the new house because the shower door is in the way. Anyway, at least they were all paying attention. That's good to know. The staff was all paying attention. It caught me point is we all have habits that we get into. Some habits formed on accident. Some habits formed on purpose. One of our premises last week, and I think we have this on the screen, is good habits that are formed on purpose keep us on a consistent path. That's what Jesus did. He formed habits on purpose when he was on earth. I shared with you that I wrote down quite a while back some notes from a book called The Sacred Chase by this guy named Heath Adamson. And then at Heath, noted some habits of Jesus. He just really quickly wrote them down, but it sparked something to me. So I wrote some notes down to go back to sometime, and that's what I'm doing for these four weeks. It's a wonderful book, and I encourage you to read it. Um, But the basic parts of this, a lot of it came out of there. And there's eight habits that Jesus exhibited while on earth, at least eight that we're going to talk about. Eight habits of believer that we can identify. We talked about two of them last week. Uh, Things we can all uh, do and we can and we should all do. One of those was that Jesus welcomed questions. And the second one was that Jesus embraced truth. We did those two together because they kind of go together. Jesus welcomed questions. He embraced truth. 
You know, if we claim to be Christians, followers of the risen Christ, if we speak the name of Jesus like we were singing about, then it stands to reason that we would strive to make his ways our ways, right? If we're Christians or we're followers of Christ. And we would strive to make his habits our habits. We read this scripture last week from Luke chapter 2 that encompassed a couple of those things. This morning, we are on to two more habits of a believer. Two more. And the third habit of a believer going after the first two last week is a third habit of a believer we see in Jesus is that, number three, Jesus submitted to authority. Jesus submitted to authority. And you're probably thinking, man, that is not the way I expected this to go. We were talking about all this, like, spiritual and deep stuff last week, asking big questions, embracing the truth. And now the pastor shows up, and he's like, you should all submit to authority. I know it's kind of a left-hand turn. But I want to remind you of something we had on the screen last week that's out of that book, The Sacred Chase. And I put the quote up there directly because it was so good. Heath says this, Heath Adamson, he says, the more spiritual we are, the more practical we become. And at the end of last week, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit that Pastor Almeida read earlier, right? If we are spiritual, if we are following Christ, those practical things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, those are all going to be evident in our lives. The more spiritual we are, the more practical we become. You see, the Bible, it isn't just a long book with a whole bunch of rules, but it's this manual for living life on earth. We take it and we apply it to our life. And it's kind of like I was going over my notes last night. This analogy came to mind. Uh, it's not as relevant anymore because we have the internet. But pre-internet, if you want to fix a car, you could go buy this thing called a Chilton manual. Anyone ever have a Chilton manual? Chilton manual had instructions for everything. You could buy one for whatever make, model, or car you had. And I had a few of them before the internet. And uh, it literally had instructions for every single thing you could ever do to whatever vehicle you had. If you actually had, you know, the tools and the know-how and things like that. And that's kind of what the Bible is. It's this manual, man. It's got every single thing you need to know is in this book. And Jesus, we need to understand, he didn't just come to earth, live above everyone, this privileged life, and disappear back to heaven. Right? Jesus, he lived among humans, and he dealt with challenges just like us, exactly like every one of us. Let's talk about that word authority for a moment. Right? It's kind of loaded sometimes. And the reason we need to talk about it is because submitting to someone else's authority over us, that's something we all struggle with at some point in our lives. Right? If we ask, ask for a raise of hands, who has struggled with this? If everyone didn't raise their hand, someone would be lying. Right? We've all struggled with authority in our life at some point. We've got a, a nine and a seven-year-old boy in our house right now, our sons, and we're trying to be good parents and teach our kids what it means that even if you don't like it, right, when your teacher gives you some instruction, when your parent gives you some instruction, as long as they're not asking you to sin, then you have to do it, right? And it sounds like a simple concept, right? Whoever is an authority above you should be able to tell you what to do. But anyone who has done any parenting, anyone who's lived any life can tell you it's not as easy as it sounds. Now, admittedly, the struggle with authority is different for each kind of person. For me, I, I don't usually have trouble as long as I don't have uh, any issue thinking the authority is legitimate. When I do have trouble is if there's someone who I don't think should be able to tell me what to do, and they're telling me what to do. Man, I really don't like that. <laughs> when I very first started uh, in ministry, I was, got out of college, and I was working at this church in Nampa Christian Faith Center. There was a receptionist, a wonderful lady, and uh, 
she, for some reason, she thought that it was her mission in life to tell me what to do. And there was really no definition about whether she was above me or I was below her or whatever, no matter what my job was. But man, it was so hard sometimes. Because she would tell me where to be, what time to be places, what I needed to do. Man, it was so hard. (laughs) And eventually I came to this conclusion that in a situation like that, I was better off not fighting it. And any time I tried to exert authority instead of taking whatever leadership God gave me, it was always a disaster. Any time with anyone where I've actually to say, well, you know, actually I'm in charge and you should listen to me. Never goes well. Now there's some of us for whom we don't like anyone telling us what to do at any time. You know, sometimes it's we think we know better just on a specific thing. We always think we know a better way. I mean, I've got a, such a great example of this. A little specific thing in my life. Uh, I lived in Seattle for five years and uh, in Seattle, uh, any of these big cities uh, that I've driven in, they drive fast and they drive aggressive in these big cities, right? You kind of have to to survive, right? If you're going to get on the freeway, if you don't drive fast and aggressive in Seattle, you're not going to get on the freeway. You're going to be stuck on the shoulder. And so I lived there for five years. You know, I was, or this part of it was I was, you know, late teens, early 20s. But I lived there for five years, moved back here. And you got to understand, I'm a, like, Whenever uh, anyone gives me any strife, any policeman, I would always just be thinking, listen, you're after the wrong guy. Like, I obey every law. Like, you know, I'm not the one you're looking for here. But I came back, and I'll tell you what, man, I was getting pulled over all the time for like 62 and a 50. All the time, 72 and a 60, 12 over all the time. You know what I was thinking is, listen, I'm safe. I drove like this in Seattle for five years. These policemen, they don't understand that, like, I'm safe doing this. I've driven these roads a hundred times, and I had all these excuses in mind, but you know what? They kept pulling me over, and they kept giving me tickets. The reason was because they had authority over me. Whether I liked it or whether I did not like it, they had the authority over me. And eventually, I got a letter in the mail that said, you're going to have to go take a safe driving course, and I was so frustrated. I was like, I'm a safe driver. Never been in a wreck. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm thinking, go look for drug dealers, right? Don't pull me over for going 12 over, but it didn't matter because they had the authority and I did not. Hopefully, it's sparking in your mind just some things that might have been tricky for you at some point in your life. Um, And eventually, what I started doing, the solution is I set my cruise control all the time. I still do it. If it's like 35, I set my cruise control at 35. (laughs) And that's the way to not get tickets. Anyway, I think for all of us, it can be a challenge when it comes to submitting to authority. With my sons, especially uh, one of them particularly, he would just rather play than do what he's told. And that's the thing. It doesn't really have to do with whether he likes you, whether a thing is hard. He just wants to play. And that's really what it comes down to for us. We have a thing we would rather do than what the authority is telling us. But I want us to understand that weaving into our lives this habit of submitting to authority, it's a tangible way that we can be like Jesus. As crazy as it sounds, going the speed limit, a tangible way that I can be like Jesus. Because if we read through the New Testament, we can see several different ways that Jesus did this. I have them for you on the screen. You can write them down as we go along. One of the ways that Jesus submitted to his father's authority uh, is that he came to earth. Jesus came to earth. He didn't have to come to earth. But John 6, 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will, to do the will of God who sent me. 
Man, it is important for us to know that Jesus came to earth because it was the will of his Father. Now, you might be saying, and this is, I, my logical brain thinks this, well, yes, of course, it's God himself speaking, of course. He's going to come to earth if God himself says so. But I'm not so sure how easy it would have been if I was in Jesus' shoes, knowing what it was you're going to be asked to do. Regardless, he submitted to the will of his Father, submitted to his Father's authority. Now, on earth, and this is the thing that's so remarkable, if you go read about Jesus' life, um, he didn't arrive and just start letting in everyone know what it is they needed to do. Even though, of course, he knew what they needed to do. Even though, of course, he would live a life with no sin. We can see it. You see, while on earth, Jesus, he submitted to his parents. We talked in that uh, last week about the story of Jesus in the temple. Uh, you can go read it. I think Luke chapter 2, how his parents accidentally left without him. One thing I didn't mention last week is these were, they didn't have cars, right? So they got about three days away, and then they had to go back and find him. Luckily, he was still there. But his parents accidentally left without him, and they returned to find him, asking questions, embracing truth in the temple courts. It's really interesting, because if you read that, that passage, it's, you can tell that, and Jesus says that that was exactly where he was supposed to be. But once they found him, once his parents journeyed three days away, three days back, I'm sure panicked, found him. His mom's thinking, this is the son of God come to earth, immaculately conceived, and I lost him, Right? But once they found him, look what Jesus said, Luke 2, 49 through 51. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and here's the key, and was obedient to them. He was obedient to his parents. So teenagers, young people in this place, let this sink into your heart. Jesus' parents did not understand him. It says right there, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus' parents, young people, did not understand him, but he went home with them anyway. He obeyed them anyway. See, another example of this, how Jesus submitted to earthly authority of his parents. Later on, Jesus performs his first miracle in the wedding at Cana. He's at his wedding uh, with many other people, presumably his family as well, because his mother is there, and it says later he went with his family. And back then, weddings went on for multiple days. It was a multiple-day celebration and feast, and it was culturally very important. You didn't run out of stuff to eat. You did not run out of stuff to drink. But, as the story goes, uh, the New Testament tells us they had run out of wine. It's a super interesting story that we'll unpack more fully sometime. If you think Jesus and wine, we'll unpack it fully another time. But the thing is, at this point, Jesus had not done anything miraculous publicly. But his mother knew. We're going to find out in this. His, his mother knew. Um, this is John 2, 1 through 5. Uh, we're going to look at together uh, just the short scripture. I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. If you continue to read the story, you'd see he turned uh, these big jars of water into wine, saved the feast. It's really important to note there that when he calls the, 
uh, his mother woman there in verse 4. It's not a term of disrespect in Greek at all. Uh, but in essence, Jesus is saying, Mom, really? Like, really, are you telling me to do this? I'm not really ready to announce myself yet. And I can imagine Mary turning like only a mom can turn, right, and giving some direction to everyone else. Listen, you guys, he knows what to do. You go over here. You go over here. You just do what he says to do. You see, Jesus, he'd been sent from the heavenly father, but he was obedient to his earthly parents. His mom wanted him to save the wedding, so he went and saved the wedding. Matthew 22, we see that Jesus submitted to government officials. And man, this can be the hard one in 2022 in the United States, right? Matthew 22, we see Jesus submitted to government officials. In the scripture we're about to read you, ironically, the Pharisees, they were trying to prove that he didn't respect the authority of the Romans. They're trying to trap him in his words. And there's this short exchange. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22 says this. Then the Pharisees went out. And laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying a tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. I know that for all of us, it can be so difficult sometimes to submit to the government that's in authority. When we really think they're hopelessly off the beaten path. This is essentially what I was doing when I was going 62 and a 50 all the time, right? I did not want to submit their authority. I thought they were wrong. I should be able to go 62 out in the boonies if I want. But Jesus gives us strong direction in the fact that even though these people who he's talking to, even though they would eventually send them to the cross, they'd have a fake trial and they'd send them to the cross and he would die a terrible death. He gave them their taxes anyway. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's. I think it's really important to note, we're not saying here that you just go through life being a yes person, you're submissive, you never stand up for anything, you never raise an intelligent argument or stand up for what's right. This boils down to, for us, especially in such a politically charged time as we live in, it means that as Christians, believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, we're the best citizen, we're the best employee, we're the best son or daughter that we can be. And that even if we disagree or we wish it was different, we respect those in authority over us. Another aspect of this I just want to address quickly. It's a kind of a slight fork in the road. But the question is, what if God puts you in a position of authority? Because he does do that, right? People own businesses. They run companies. They help at churches, all kinds of things. And none of this means that God does not put us in authority, that you never are in charge of people, that you never make decisions, that you can't or shouldn't make our decisions. But here's the thing. When we are in a position of authority, allowing others to give authority to us instead of taking it by force is the way of Jesus. He didn't come. You read the New Testament. He did not come and take his authority by force. He came and he washed feet and he served and he healed and he forgave sins. 
This is the example that Jesus set for us here on earth. And the truth is, no matter your title, and this is in church, the biggest company, everything in between, leadership is something that is earned, not given. You go and you earn it, and you don't get to tell anybody that you have it. They give it to you. Finally, when it comes to submitting to authority, um, man, there's nothing more powerful to me than the exchange Jesus has with his heavenly father. Uh, It's in Luke chapter 22. You see, Jesus knew he was about to be arrested and beaten and killed, and he's gone to the garden with his disciples, and he said, he says, will you stay awake and pray for me while I, while I go up on myself? He knew what was about to happen. And Jesus goes to be alone with his father, and he prays to God in the garden. This is the Luke twenty-two forty-two 42, NLT I'm reading to you. It says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. See, just before he came and just before he left earth, Jesus submitted to the will of his father from beginning to end. He went to the garden. He said, Lord, I know what lays ahead. Father, I know what lays ahead. If there is any other way, can we choose that way? But if there isn't, I'll submit to your authority. He submitted to the will of his father from beginning to end. And one of the habits, friends, of a believer, one of the habits of a Christian is that we submit to authority in a godly way. Another habit we see in the life of Jesus, this is habit number four out of our eight. Jesus created spiritual rhythm in his life. And Jesus created spiritual rhythm in his life. Now, rhythm is this term that we use most often when it comes to music. And by definition, if you go look it up in the dictionary, rhythm is uh, a strong, regular, repeated matter, pattern of movement or sound. Like I said, it's most often associated with music. And it's true that following a specific rhythm, it's essential to being able to play music successfully. If you can't follow a rhythm, you probably can't play very well. Now, I looked this up. Statistics tell us that anywhere between 6 and 10% of Americans have played an instrument in the past year. It's interesting, the older the, older the ages get, uh, the number goes down. You play less, the older you get, apparently. But over the years, you know, uh, I've shared with you before, I led worship full-time before uh, we were here uh, for almost 12 years. Over the years, uh, talking about playing, no matter what the instrument is, the amount of people that play an instrument but they've never actually played together with another person is actually uh, pretty small. Because when it comes to, like, guitar, like, like I usually play, there's lots of people that can shred in their rooms by themselves. They can play crazy stuff. But if you put them alongside other people in a live band, it suddenly gets much tougher. And the reason is because in many cases when you're by yourself, you can change the rhythm as much as you want, and it does not affect anybody else. You can play slow. You can play fast. Nobody cares. Because you aren't following anyone else, and nobody else is following you. In succeeding and making good or coherent music together, it depends upon following the same rhythm. Everyone has to follow the same rhythm. Now, if that's you, if you're here and you're like, he's describing me. I play an instrument. I don't play with others. Uh, come see me or Pastor Almeida. We can probably teach you if you're willing to learn. If you can play, we can probably teach you. Anyway, all the songs we sing here, they're based upon a specific rhythm, a specific time signature. Certain amount of beats per minute, that's the speed of the song, fast or slow. A certain amount of beats 
per measure. We call that the time signature. And the key to all of us coming together and playing the song correctly and singing it together in a way that you, the church, can meaningfully sing along, it's the rhythm. And the rhythm and the time signature together are two of the aspects that define the song. Actually, most times, we use a thing called a metronome. Most of you have heard of one of those, right? To keep us all in time, we have it in our ears. And uh, you need to understand this, that living things all over the planet, not just in music, living things all over the planet, they follow a specific rhythm. In fact, any living thing that is healthy follows a specific rhythm. Created nature, if you go read up on a study, it created nature follows a specific rhythm. Animals hibernate on a specific rhythm. Flowers bloom on a specific rhythm. Life cycles begin and end on a specific rhythm. All to a rhythm that God made and God created. Very hearts inside of our chest, the wellspring of life, Proverbs says. It has to beat in a specific and a consistent rhythm in order for our bodies to work correctly. If it doesn't beat in the right rhythm, it doesn't beat in time, if it skips beats, then our body's not going to work correctly. And similar to our heart beating in rhythm and time for our body to be healthy, one of the habits of a believer is that we create a spiritual rhythm in our life, a pattern that repeats itself. Now, you've been around me enough by now to know that I really, really love the local church. I love the local church. I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And the local church, a place just like this, many times is where we find and we celebrate it and we share it. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is always the scripture that speaks the most clearly to me. That's the one us pastors we love to quote when it comes to this habit, this rhythm we're talking about. It says this, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you might be thinking, well, you are the pastor of the church. Of course you want us to come all the time. That's like the mechanic saying you should bring your car into the shop, right? Of course we want you to come to church. But Jesus, he showed us while he was on earth this example that we can follow when it comes to developing a spiritual rhythm. Uh, I have the scripture I want to read with you. We're kind of skipping around today uh, out of Luke chapter 4. We'll read it here in a moment. But just like we noted last week, It's important to remember, we read these stories about Jesus, and he was the literal son of God come to earth, fully God, fully man. Just preceding what we're about to read, Jesus, he has come from the time when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And the next passage in Luke uh, tells us this. This is Luke uh, 4, 14 through 19. Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, I think a few of you caught that, those really important words uh, in verse 16. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. I really love, actually, I think the NLT gives it a little more context. 
says this, when he came to the village of Nazareth, which was his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read the scriptures. This is so powerful because within these few verses about a normal day in the life of Jesus, although it would start to get crazy for him after this, but it's just a normal day in the life of Jesus, we see a little microcosm of the spiritual rhythm of a believer. You see, Jesus, he went to the synagogue, and it wasn't a one-time occurrence. He went to the synagogue like he usually did. Just like we come to church Sunday and Wednesday, he went to the synagogue like he usually did. Just like we stand at the door on Sunday and Wednesday. I love to go stand out there with those, with everyone who greets. We stand out there, and we're like, oh, hey, there's, there's Brad and Dee. I wonder if Brad has any new VR video games. Oh, there's Patrick and Anita. I love it when they come. I wonder if Anita has cooked anything good and brought it today. Spoiler alert, she's coming later and she's bringing good stuff. <laughs> hey, there's Cedell and Lil. I wonder how feeding the ducks went this morning. They always feed the ducks. I wonder how feeding the ducks went. And surely those who went to the synagogue regularly, they would have stood at the entrance and they saw Jesus. They said, oh, there's Joseph's son. Man, I wonder how that table he's building is coming. He's a carpenter, right? What if he got those chairs done? You see, Jesus was in his hometown, Nazareth, and he went to church regularly. And within that trip to church, we see some other clues to the spiritual rhythms of Jesus, right? He shows up at the synagogue. One of the things he does is Jesus gathered with other believers there. He would have prayed together with them. We just read the part where he read the scripture with them. The second part of those verses, remember it said he read the book of Isaiah out loud from a scroll, exactly like we're doing today, reading out loud out of the Bible. Now, going to church, man, it's an important thing. But it's so important that we understand that coming to church, it's really just the beginning of or maybe the outward expression of the rhythms of our life. Pastor, I don't know but we're ready for you up here. You see, friends, it's so important, vitally important, that in between Sundays and Wednesdays, we on purpose create spiritual patterns and habits that define our lives. We have to create them on purpose. And here's what it looks like, just a few things. Carving out regular time to read your Bible. Finding a way to make it an everyday part of our lives. Uh, that's kind of why I shared with you the story about uh, the toothbrushing and the reading the psalm. That's just one of the things that I usually do at the end of the day. Helps it become part of the rhythm of my life. Um, it's so important that we are purposeful. We make a habit of spending time with other believers outside of church. That time that happens outside of these metaphorical four walls. I know there's more than four walls in here, but the, the time together outside these four walls, that's where the deep conversations, that's where the relationship happens, that's where you ask the big questions and you embrace the big truth. Man, it's so important that we make time to worship God during our days. You don't have to play the instrument yourself. It touches God's heart and it brings heaven close, whether it's in concert or whether it's uh, a quiet voice. It's the thing that matters when we are worshiping is what our heart is doing. What our heart is doing is what defines where the worship is happening. 
And like many things uh, we're discovering, right, when we study the Bible, when it comes to our relationship with God, uh, it's something that we don't just discover one time, but we refine our relationship with God day by day. But it's so important, just like we talked about with music earlier, you pick a time signature and you pick a tempo, and we do our best to repeat it. You go through the measure once, you start over. You go to church on Sunday, and you go to your small group on Tuesday. You go to church on Wednesday. You read your psalms at night. You come to Sunday, and the measure starts all back over again. Before we conclude this morning, I want to say uh, one more thing. There's this thought that uh, when it comes to a relationship with God, uh, how we're doing, how we're doing it, and what we're talking about here, there's this thought that creating a spiritual rhythm, doing your relationship with God on purpose, creating habits like this, there's this thought that it's not authentic, and it's actually more authentic to do whatever feels good each day. You're more honest about your relationship with God if you just do uh, whatever, whatever comes to your mind. And sometimes someone will even say, when you say, hey, it is good to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday, they will say, well, you're just being religious. As a pastor, man, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, well, I, I, I have a relationship with God. I'm not religious. And sure, it, it does happen. We've talked about, honestly, at this church in the last year, how sometimes we can get more caught up in traditions than what God is saying to us and, and him moving in our life. I think what we need to know this morning, friends, is in our lives, in every aspect of it, we are intentional about the things that matter to us. We're intentional about the things that matter to us. If you go to a job and you get a paycheck, you're intentional about getting up and showing up on time, not leaving until you're supposed to leave. If you love your family, you're intentional about the things you do. And creating a rhythm, creating a rhythm, doing something uh, in a rhythmic way, it's the most authentic thing you can do. If you choose to do it on purpose and do it well, it's the most authentic thing you can do. See, Jesus shows us that one of the habits of a believer is that we create spiritual rhythm in our life. You can bow your heads and close your eyes in this place this morning. We're almost done. Um, I just want to take a moment, uh, allow the Lord to speak. Earlier as we are singing, we... We say, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. And that's what we're doing. We're speaking about how Jesus lived when he was on this earth and how we can replicate it, how we can copy it. This morning, uh, I just want to take a moment. This music plays quietly. I just want to, uh, our eyes eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. I just want to give you a moment to reflect on what God may be speaking. from everything the past couple of weeks about asking big questions and embracing the truth. Maybe this morning we talk about submitting to authority and there's just a little bit of your heart that's poked. And this morning it's something you need to do. Maybe you're in this place and you're just thinking about uh, the way your week goes and thinking, ah, I should have more rhythm to it as far as my relationship with God. We're just going to give you a moment, maybe 30 seconds, a minute, and allow God to speak to each one of us in the way that he would see fit. And then we'll come back and pray.
Lord, we're so thankful for your presence here from the moment, uh, moment we started today. And thank you for your people who are here this morning. And they love you and they've accepted you. Uh, but I pray, Lord, as we study, uh, Jesus, what you were all about when you were on this earth, the things that defined your days, your comings, and your going. Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to us, that you would bring conviction to every one of our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be known as God's people, as people who stand up what's right for what we believe in, but also those who submit to authority, just like you tell us to do in your word, Jesus, just like uh, you gave us an example of. Lord, I pray for every person here that... uh, you would help them. Just give them wisdom and understanding, even in this very moment, about how this coming week uh, can have a little more rhythm to their lives. Lord, I pray that people in this place who have never uh, had a daily Bible reading habit, um, Lord, that they would find one starting this week. Lord, for those that love it when we come here and we worship in song on Sunday and Wednesday, um, but they wish it happened other times, Lord, I pray you would just poke their heart uh, to take a moment each day and spend some time uh, seeking your face, telling you how good you are. And Jesus, I thank you that uh, the things we're talking about, they're not just some words on a page or a story in a book, but Jesus, uh, you were a real human. You came to earth and you lived a life with no sin. And you died and you took my sins upon yourself and you rose again to defeat death in the grave. Lord, for every single person here, would you impress upon them the enormity of your grace let your compassion and your mercy follow us Lord in these things we're talking about would you help us to speak your name Jesus over our lives every moment of every day thank you for your people Lord we let your word go with us this week we pray these things in your holy your matchless name amen Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, we're getting ready to dismiss here in a moment. Thank you for coming to church. So grateful you were here. Um, I want to let you know we have some of these books right here. Uh, if you've accepted Christ recently, rededicated your life, or, or maybe something we sang or prayed today sparked something in you. Book's called Following Jesus. Just talks about how to have a relationship with God on a day in day out basis. Come see me. I'd love to give you one of these free. Uh, we have some of them out at the uh, in the lobby as well. Uh, but we just want to put something in your hands to help you in your journey, help you as you know Jesus uh, better. Uh, we're grateful that you came to church today. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be alive, to celebrate God's presence together. And, uh, uh, would you go with God's grace and mercy? We'll see you back here later for the Thanksgiving feast. Thank you so much for coming. We'll see you soon.